0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to another 2QBs.com production, episode 96 of the 2QB Experience. I'm your host. My name is Greg Smith. On today's 2QB XP, I am joined by nobody. Well, I mean, except for maybe my dog, who got a little bit of barking in last week, last episode before I was able to hit the mute button. A couple weeks ago, Kenneth Griggs' dog chimed in from the background, so maybe we'll get get that again. But, But for the most part, you're flying solo with me today, and... We're going to get to the usual stuff, uh, week 5 recap, week 6 preview, but after that, you know, in lieu of having a guest, I'm going to run through my rest of season quarterback rankings and kind of talk through it. There's a lot to that goes into it, and I'm not really a big fan of rest of season rankings because it is such a weekly sport, but we'll talk more about that when we get there. For now, let's dive right into the week 5 recap, and we usually start with big picture talk, uh, what stood out in week 5, and for me at the quarterback position, it's the return of the OGs. The top six in week five was Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Andrew Luck, Ben Roethlisberger, Philip Rivers, just like we drew it up in 2012 or something like that. This is uh, kind of a, a, an interesting occurrence. We don't usually see these, you know, big-name, prominent, you know, kind of legendary quarterbacks all stacked up at to the top. Now, maybe Philip Rivers isn't a legend, but these a lot of these other guys are, and I don't know if it is just recency bias of this week, but the fact that these guys are all still producing does kind of filter into the rest of the season rankings we're going to get to later. I'm very impressed that Aaron Rodgers is able to do what he's doing on, you know, one and a half legs. Uh, You know, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, defying father time, you know, yet again. Uh, Andrew Luck putting up a good performance, although kind of, you know, as usual, just based on volume, but that's not changing for him. You know what I mean? That's just one of those things that he's going to do. Uh, Roethlisberger, we know he's up and down. We got a big boom week from him. And Rivers, just kind of quietly one of the most consistent QBs this season, and one of the tougher ones to rank going forward, to be honest. It's hard to know how much his performance to date is based on schedule, if that even matters, that this is just who he is with, you know, all those weapons that are surrounding him. Like, even without Hunter Henry, uh, he's he's been able to put up really good numbers. So, a fascinating case there. Getting back to Rodgers, it's kind of crazy that he was able to do it without Randall Cobb, without Geronimo Allison, he really was struggling at times to figure things out with the receivers that he had. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Jamon Moore, Equinemius St. Brown. Like these guys kind of came out of nowhere and and Valdez-Scantling had a pretty good game. I think it might make some sense for him to start getting more reps over Geronimo Allison because we know that Geronimo Allison has a rapport with Rodgers. He's been there longer and that that makes sense. He's going to have a little bit more of a connection with his quarterback, but Scantling might just be the more talented player. They might need to get him on the field. Although, on the other hand, we've been saying that for how many weeks about Aaron Jones and and Jamal Williams? So, uh, you know, I guess just throw up your hands and and curse at Mike McCarthy. That's about as best we can do. Outside of the quarterback position, we should probably talk about the Jay Ajayi injury. He landed on IR, and Corey Clement is back to practicing for the Eagles. So it looks like we're going to have some sort of committee between Clement and And Wendell Smallwood going forward. Darren Sproles will probably come back at some point, but I just don't know how you can trust him based upon the injury track record that he has. And Philadelphia also has Josh Adams, but again, we're not really sure how much he's gonna matter when they have these other backs. Based upon usage to this point, you should probably be adding Clement ahead of Smallwood, but honestly. This could really go either way. I think both of them have to be pretty high priorities uh, on waivers. Not that many people will still have time to get those waiver claims in when they hear this. You, you'll, it's probably past that on Wednesday when you're listening to this. But at the very least, the Eagles have shown us that they are willing to rotate backs. And to me, that means that Smallwood could be just as valuable as Clement. And especially in PPR leagues where he has a bit more of a receiving profile. Not that they don't use Clement as a receiver, but they definitely like to use Smallwood like that. And so that matters to me. I think in PPR you might even be able to make a case for Smallwood over Clement. Sprolls is the X factor there, of course. If Sprolls comes back soon and does stay healthy, then maybe Smallwood, you know, goes away and Clement is the early down guy. And I think that's why you have to go with Clement first for the most part, uh if you are, you know, trying to prioritize these folks. The other running back situation we have to talk about is the Jacksonville Jaguars, where Leonard Fournette is still nursing a hamstring injury. Corey Grant is going on IR. The Jags signed Jamal Charles today. I have such a deep, profound like fantasy football owner love for Jamal Charles, the player, that it was really challenging for me not to like think about who I was going to cut for him, just on the off chance that he can come back. Like there's that kind of nostalgia value that uh, that remembrance of what he has done in the past for my teams and I know that he's not that player anymore and I ultimately did not click the little green plus sign next to his name Uh, but uh, it is interesting that he is you know still relevant somehow and uh, you know he is a talented player Uh, will he be given the opportunity to show off that talent how much talent is left in the tank that is a very good question and I can't wait to find out at the very least I'm probably not adding him anywhere but it'll be cool if he could put it together that'd be pretty impressive I mean, we've seen Adrian Peterson be relevant this year for Washington. So crazier things have happened. I think Jamal Charles, maybe, see, here I go. I'm talking myself into it. And uh, I got to be a little more pragmatic when it comes to this stuff. Uh, But with regards to who is there, um, you know, TJ Yeldon is the guy. He is your workhorse running back until Fournette is healthy. Now, that might only be for one, two, three weeks, but it doesn't matter. You know, Yeldon has to be you know, in your lineups, if you have him, that team is built to run the ball. And even if they can't run the ball, he's a great pass catcher for Blake Bortles out of the backfield. And we know that Blake Bortles does not have, you know, the type of arm talent and accuracy to really throw the ball down the field all that often. It probably makes more sense to, for him to be dumping off to TJ Eldon a lot of the time. And if the Jags are behind, that's usually what defenses are willing to give up. So, uh, you know, Yeldon is, you know, a must play for, you know, most teams going forward. Now, because he was so cheap, I could definitely envision a scenario where you have, you know, uh, top three running back like Kamara or Elliott or Gurley, and then you have some other good RB2 talent, like maybe Marshawn Lynch and whoever else. And, and maybe in those cases, you, you are not going to end up playing Yeldon, but... I don't know, man. I think he's got to be in there uh, for the most part in most of your lineups, especially at least with, with flex consideration. Um, and in PPR formats, he he ascends past a lot of those RB2 types like Lynch. Getting back to quarterbacks, let's do our awards for Week 5. We'll start with the boom of the week. And this is the quarterback who outperformed my expectations the most in Week 5. I only had a couple really qualified applicants here. Uh, and the first is, I'll, I'll just make him an honorable mention, Case Keenum. QB7 21.08 points and I'm kind of fascinated by Keenan because it really seems like he's the second copy of Blake Bortles in our fantasy leagues and you might hear about these leagues where because you know the commissioners want to go you know a lot deeper in terms of how many roster spots you have or how many teams you have like if you wanted to do like a a 20 team super flex league one of the ways that people will do that is they'll make multiple copies of certain players so you know there'll be two versions or or two copies of each player to draft and so i could draft two copies of patrick mahomes i could draft one and you could draft one uh and with case Keenum, it feels like we just have that naturally like him and bortles effectively feel like the same player to me where they're going to be up and down they're going to have these good weeks because they have you know a, a fair amount of talent a good team around them or good teams around them at the same time they're both very turnover prone. They are not particularly accurate, although Keenum put up good accuracy numbers last season, you know, kind of based upon the previous track record, based upon what we've seen this year. I think it's somewhat safe to say that Keenum is is probably on par with Bortles in terms of uh, those accuracy abilities. But yeah, it's it's kind of interesting how their performances have kind of mirrored each other this year, where they have some some big weeks, uh, like Keenum getting to QB7 in Week 5, and then, you know, they have some duds. And, I don't know, just they remind me of each other. That, that's about it. Uh, but my actual boom of the week is going to be C.J. Beathard of the 49ers. He was the QB10, so not quite as impressive ranking-wise as Case Keenum, but he had 20.66 fantasy points, which, you know, was a difference, you know, only, let's see how many points, .42 less than Keenum. It was just a crazy week for quarterback scoring in general. From QB5 down to QB11, all those quarterbacks scored between 20 and 22 fantasy points. And, you know, going down the rankings beyond QB11, there were a couple guys with 19. Uh, Sam Darnold had about 18.5. Like, the quarterback scoring was very, very tight this week. There were a lot of guys who did pretty good but not great and not terrible. And that's the nature of quarterback in 2018. It's really easy to pass the ball. Teams are going to pass the ball a lot, unless unless they're the Miami Dolphins. And that's going to accumulate fantasy points at the position, kind of regardless of talent. It's going to have more to do with game script, with you know, the the random breaks of the game, you know, you know, turnovers in the red zone, things like that. Like we saw the Bengals a couple weeks ago against the Ravens have just some really cheap drives where they did not have to punch it in from very far out. We've seen that with a couple other teams this year. It's a it's a thing, like that's where a lot of the big weeks are going to come from. This week, we didn't see quite as much of that, I would say. And that's why you kind of saw the cream rise to the top in term of, terms of quarterback talent with, you know, Rodgers, Brady, Breeze, Luck, Roethlisberger, Rivers, like those guys kind of being at the top of the rankings. But yeah, good game from Beathard here. Uh, with that said, he has to cut down on the turnovers. This is not really sustainable. He got a lot of volume uh, because he had a lot of opportunities. And I do think there might be something to him being in the second year with Shanahan, uh, the coach there. Uh, we talked about that with Jimmy Garoppolo potentially being a thing, right? The second year in the Shanahan offense is when Matt Ryan really ascended. And I mean, to some extent, that could be applying to Bethard here. So maybe we shouldn't have written him off as you know just a, a desperation-only type of play when he's going up against a bad team like Arizona, there is going to be opportunity for him to score points. And he's always going to, you know, have some amount of upside thanks to his rushing production. He did score uh, a rushing TD in week five, and that's a lot of why he, he had as many points as he did. But, you know, if you take that rushing touchdown away, um, I'm not really a fan of this type of, you know, justification. But if you take that away, he's not, he doesn't, scores the QB 10, right? So if he didn't get in there on the ground, then that, you know, would have been a a different story for him in this particular week. Uh, But with that said, I think there, you know, some reason for maybe not optimism, but reason to believe that you can use Beathard if you have to, because he does have that rushing floor and because the Niners offense is generally pretty good because Kyle Shanahan is a good offensive coach and he's going to make it work with what he has. I mean, they're, they're doing a lot with a little here. We're talking about CJ Beathard, Kyle Juszczyk, uh, you know, tight ends, Pierre Garçon, you know, Marquise Goodwin didn't even play in this game. So it's not like he was in there taking the top off of the defense. Like they're, they're making it work, uh, you know, kind of on the margins. It'll be interesting to see how they fare without Matt Breida because, you know, I mean, Alfred Morris did a pretty good job in relief, um, and I think Morris is a fine player. But Breida is a playmaker; he does bring some stuff that really no other running back on that team can bring. Uh, with Jarek McKinnon also injured, um, so this might be the ceiling for Bethard that we saw in Week Five. But uh, we got to call it out, man. He was the boom of the week, bust of the week. Uh, which quarterback underperformed my expectations the most? There were a lot of options here. That this was again like because quarterback scoring was so tight, and because so many you know, pretty good guys underachieved uh, in this week. Um, There are a lot of choices we could choose from. I wouldn't blame you for tabbing, uh, you know, probably like seven or eight different quarterbacks as the bust of the week. For me, I willed it down to five guys, and I'll throw out the three that I don't really think deserve the status. Uh, The first is Matt Ryan. He was the QB 19 with about 14 and a half points. The reason I don't think he was the bust of the week, and I'll admit, I ranked him really highly, so there's a very good case for him. But maybe we should have seen this coming. With all the problems that the Falcons are having on their offensive line, coupled with the fact that the Steelers' pass rush has been low-key really, really good this year. Now, they've been giving up a lot of passing yards and passing production, but they've been getting after the quarterback a lot. Playing on the road, you know, Matt Ryan playing on the road with a shoddy offensive line against a good pass-rushing team... Maybe we should have sniffed this out. Maybe we should have seen Matt Ryan's failure coming. Now, the other indicators here, you know, the over-under, the implied point total for the Atlanta Falcons kind of steered us in the other direction. But this is one of those cases where maybe those numbers lied to us a little bit. And we should have, you know, looked a little deeper, looked at the the individual matchups that were happening in this particular game between the Falcons and the Steelers and said, hey, you know what, this doesn't really look good for Matt Ryan. And uh, that's that's the reason why I don't think he was my bust of the week. He could definitely be yours. I, I wouldn't begrudge you for that. Uh, another guy I'll, I'll throw out there is Jared Goff. He was the QB 20 just behind Matt Ryan with about 14.3 fantasy points. He just got Todd Gurley. This is going to happen to him every once in a while. And this is ultimately the biggest downside with Goff and the biggest risk that you have. Like, that offense is prolific, and he's going to be, you know, at the center of that a lot of the time. But every once in a while, you're going to run into a game like this where Gurley just takes over. And... Because that's always going to be a possibility. I don't think we can call Goff the bust of the week either. The last one I'll throw out there is just Marcus Mariota. Now, we didn't have high expectations for Marcus Mariota based on what he has done to date. Now, week four, notwithstanding, like we, we thought maybe he had turned the corner. Clearly, he did not turn the corner. Uh, and this has got to be like, he's got to be one of the most frustrating quarterbacks to own, if not the most frustrating quarterback. So that brings me down to a pair of guys who I think are... My bust of the week, and I'll give honorable mention to Cam Newton, and he was the QB 16, 16.4 fantasy points. I ranked him really high at the beginning of the week. He was my QB one. I just felt like this was a really good matchup. I actually got into a an argument on Reddit, which is something you should never do, uh, with a reader who, you know, really was against my ranking of Cam Newton as the number one overall guy. And you know, the reader made good points. I, I, I will all admit that now. Now, some of his arguments I did not agree with. Uh, he was making the case that the Giants were this great pass defense based upon what they had done to uh, the Saints in Week 4, and I, I don't buy that. Like, I don't think the Giants are some transcendent defense, um, especially against the pass. I, th- I just think that was one of those road-breeze games. We talked about that about that with uh, Sammy Reed uh, last week. That, that was just a, a spot that we maybe could have seen the Saints floundering to some extent. What I liked about cam was the fact that he was a big favorite at home the entire offense in carolina runs through him for the most part now christian McCaffrey is going to get some handoffs where cam newton isn't going to score points but McCaffrey's is also going to catch a lot of passes uh that correlate to newton's success newton is their goal line back to some extent every other offensive play is mostly going to be a pass and i saw this big favorite at home with a a very narrow usage uh, in terms of how his offense is going to produce fantasy points. And I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to project an outlier performance for Cam Newton. Because when we pick somebody as our QB1, that's kind of what we're doing. Um, Now, should I have gone with a a chalkier answer? Should I have put Aaron Rodgers number one or Drew Brees number one? Maybe. Yeah. I I mean, in hindsight, yes. But I do have to take some chances uh, when I when I rank players and I do have to try to predict you know, these outlier performances and I felt like this is one of those weeks where Cam Newton had a really good opportunity to do that. Now, I mean, the Panthers scored 33 points. If you had known going into week five that the Panthers were going to score 33 points and that was all you knew about the game, you would have expected Cam Newton to be a very large part of that, to have had a really big week. In this case, that just didn't happen. The game broke in a certain way where, you know, those points went to the defense, and, you know, Newton just was not the beneficiary like I thought he would be. That's okay. I, I'm I'm okay with the process that led me to ranking him number two overall uh, by the time I, you know, had to finalize my rankings. Uh, he didn't kill you. You know, 16 and a half points is fine, especially in this week where most quarterbacks scored between, you know, 15 and, and 20 or 15 and 21. Like, you didn't lose too much on the margins there. Uh, you know, you probably... I mean, it counts for sure uh, if you had Cam in with 16 instead of, I don't know, someone else like Matt Ryan. But again, those aren't typically the types of decisions you have to make, especially in a two-quarterback format. You're probably just starting both those guys. So unless you started Cam over Case Keenum, which again, like, that's good process. You're going to do that. I, I don't think you can really nitpick the ranking after the fact. With that said, I was wrong. Like, the plain and simple, I was wrong. Uh, Cam Newton, honorable mention for Bust of the Week. My real Bust of the Week is Alex Smith. QB 22, uh, 13.7 fantasy points. I just don't see how this could have happened against the Saints. The Washington franchise was coming off a bye. I don't really know why their offense looked as bad as it did. And Smith, I mean, he made some bad throws in that game. Uh, and that's part of the reason why you know they, they failed and he did not produce. Was, it's on him. I'm also wondering if maybe this is a sign that the Saints defense could be coming around. Because... This was a good spot for Washington. They have pretty good weapons. Uh, they're a pretty good passing team. They're not a great running team. And the Saints... I mean, and maybe that's the reason why. New Orleans, because they're so stout against the run, and because they didn't have to worry about that necessarily in this game, because they got out to a pretty big lead. Uh, you know, Drew Brees is, is setting all-time records, of course. Uh, they didn't really have to scheme... Like, this is just a game flow thing, maybe um and they were able to you know shift their defensive game plan to stopping the pass and that's why you know Alex Smith who is already a limited player in the passing game struggled and maybe I should have seen that sort of game script problem for Alex Smith coming but based upon what we had seen so many other players do against the New Orleans defense to this point in the season I really thought Smith was going to be better than QB22 and you know 13 points is just not going to cut it, especially in a week when so many other quarterbacks, as we said, scored you know at least sixteen, and a lot of them scored you know at least eighteen or nineteen or twenty. Let's continue my ramblings with the Week Six preview, and I'll jump right into the streamer of the week, uh, my favorite streamers, and there are a few different options here. I'm going to start with one who doesn't really count, and this is Jameis Winston at Atlanta. I have to mention him because his ADP was so low, because we've been waiting for him so long to become the starter. People are going to have questions like, should I start Jameis Winston over Ben Roethlisberger? And I think the answer is yes. I think you're starting Winston because this Atlanta defense matchup is fantastic, because Winston himself has a terrible defense on his own team. Uh, This could be a huge shootout. The Vegas implied totals back that up. I don't think there's any reason not to expect just a ton of scoring, a ton of passing in this game. You have to steer into that. You have to start Winston. He's going to be, he has to be like a top five or top six option, kind of regardless of of how talented your other players are at the quarterback position. Uh, So I just throw out that caveat. If you're wondering about whether or not to start Jameis Winston over player X, player Y, player Z, uh, the, the answer is probably yes. There aren't many guys I would start over him this week based upon the matchup. Another you know kind of sneaky guy here who you could consider starting like a deeper play is Sam Darnold uh, against the Colts. Darnold is at home. Um but with that said, Indy's defense has looked a little frisky early on this season, so that makes Darnold, you know, a bit of a risk. I'm not super excited to use him. I think there are a lot of other fine matchups you could probably find here, but if you're in a pinch, I think you can you can use Darnold and feel okay about it. I think the more intriguing plays are going to be uh Blake Bortles. Now, the Dallas defense has also been pretty good, so this is more of a gut call than anything, and I know that that's not the best way to go about this stuff, but kind of like I talked about with Case Keenum earlier, Bortles tends to be up and down. We know that Fournette is probably not going to play in this game. I could see this just happening to be one of those good Bortles games, and there's not a whole lot to back that up, but kind of along the lines of Darnold, if you're looking for uh, a deeper play, someone who... Based upon you know the shape of their offense in this particular week, uh, might be able to put up a little bit more fantasy points than expected. I think Bortles you know fits the bill as he always does. That's just kind of who he is as a player. Uh, but my streamer of the week, my official streamer of the week, it's got to be Baker Mayfield. He might already be better than Derek Carr, and Derek Carr should have torched this Chargers defense that Mayfield was facing last week. We know that Derek Carr is not very good, and. I think this is an interesting spot for Mayfield coming off a win, going up against a defense that hasn't been very good for the most part. We saw David and Joku get going uh, with a bunch of targets in Week 5. Jarvis Landry is still there. This could be a good spot for Antonio Callaway, too. I just I like Mayfield as a streamer. I think that this is a pretty cut-and-dry case. There really aren't a whole lot of other options, and that's, that's kind of why he stands out as the guy to me. My clipboard holder of the week, on the other hand is even tougher. Like they are really the matchups this week are very very interesting as a as a group. A lot of the bad quarterbacks are in bad matchups, a lot of the good quarterbacks are in good matchups, and when you roll all that together, there really aren't going to be that many startable quarterbacks who you would prefer to bench this week. Now, I do have some candidates. Let's run through them real quick. The first one I don't really believe in, but it's Andy Dalton against Pittsburgh and Dalton's at home. Pittsburgh has given up a lot of passing production, but I'm wondering if maybe we can extend that argument I made against Matt Ryan earlier to Dalton this week. The reason I think we can't really do that—again, I'm kind of talking myself out of it here, I'm trying to talk you out of it as well—is uh, that the Bengals' O-line, while it you know, was bad last year and hasn't been necessarily exceptional— it hasn't been nearly as bad as what the Falcons are dealing with right now. So Dalton is probably still a start. I don't. I don't think Dalton is my official clipboard holder of the week, but I just wanted to throw it out there. Maybe we need to temper our expectations for him a little bit uh, relative to you know what the the point totals are going to say because Cincinnati will be favored in that game because they're at home. The next option here is Jared Goff going on the road uh, at elevation in Denver, uh, coming off kind of a slugfest in Seattle. And you know, as a part of that slugfest, he lost Brandon Cooks and Cooper Cup. Um, it remains to be seen whether either of those receivers can get back in time for Week Six. If one of them misses time, I'm not quite as worried about Goff. If both of them miss time, I think that could be a problem for him. Uh, I I acknowledge that Robert Woods is still a pretty good receiver. They have Josh Reynolds who can uh, do some work, but I have a feeling that if Cooks and Cup sit out in Week Six. We're looking at just a Todd Gurley week by default. Um, Maybe the tight ends get more involved, Gerald Everett and Tyler Hegby, but I think that this is a spot where you can consider benching Goff, like if you have Winston, if you have some of these other guys, like even if you have Dalton, like maybe Dalton's a better play. With that said, the Broncos haven't been superimposing against the pass. They've allowed 15 or more fantasy points to every quarterback they've faced, and all five of those QBs have finished top 20 at the position in their given weeks uh, against Denver, so... You know, if you're in a two-quarterback format, you know, Denver's been kind of an automatic, you know, top 20 finish every week. I don't know if you want to steer away from that, especially with somebody who's, you know, as proven to this point, um, or at least whose team is as proven to this point as Goff. So I I think for me, the official clipboard holder of the week has to be Alex Smith. Um, Apologies to Sal. My heart goes out to him. Um, Smith is at home. He's going up against Carolina I just am worried that he might not have that 2017 Andy Reid magic anymore. Uh, short week because he played on Monday night, uh, and while the Panthers didn't look great down the stretch in Week Five against the Giants, I think they just let their foot off the gas against Eli Manning. Looking back at their game log, they did have a bye, so they've only played four games. I mean, Matt Ryan thumped them in Week Two, but we know that you know that Atlanta offense is is pretty good, probably better than uh, the Washington offense that Alex Smith is running. I think Smith probably has more in common with the other quarterbacks that Carolina has faced, Dak Prescott and Andy Dalton, uh, both of whom the Panthers held to under 15 fantasy points. So this is a week where I'd probably get away from Smith because of the short week, because he just hasn't looked that good. Maybe I'll be wrong. There is a rushing floor there. He's, he's definitely startable, uh, but he's also benchable. That's just kind of been Alex Smith throughout his career. And, um, Yeah, we'll talk more about him in the rest of the season rankings segment. What else am I looking forward to in Week 6? A few things. Trubisky, coming off his best performance and coming off a bye, is he going to show that he did turn the corner uh, like Marcus Mariota failed to do in Week 5? This Bears team has the defense to contend. If they can put it together on offense, if they can kind of steer more into that up-tempo Tariq Cohen led uh, backfield versus the Jordan Howard led backfield uh, with Trubisky, you know, making you know clean, crisp throws, easy throws. Then that's you know reason for optimism. Uh, with that said, I think a lot of people have already picked apart that big week from Trubisky, saying that you know some of it was lucky, like he was thrown to a lot of wide open wide receivers, or uh, not just wide receivers, but all all sorts of receivers. And so, I want to see how he looks. He's going on the road. He's facing the Dolphins, and the Dolphins' defense has been solid. They have been, I I joked earlier about how little they've been passing the ball. It's been pretty abysmal on offense there, but I think part of the reason they're able to get away with that is their defense has been playing pretty well. Uh, They have a couple really good cornerbacks there. They have Xavier Howard on the outside. They have Minka Fitzpatrick, who's been pretty good in the slot. Uh, He just, I think, shut down Tyler Boyd for the most part. Um, So, I, I don't know. My, my, Preference here would be to fade Trubisky, but with that said, I don't know. I don't know exactly what's going to happen, and I'll be watching this game and, and looking at the results to to see how he fared relative to expectation because he's had a lot a lot of time to prepare. Um, hopefully, they won't be riding riding too high off of that week four performance. Um, they'll come in, you know, focused and whatnot against the Dolphins. But that, that that's kind of a test for the Bears. I think this could be a bit of a trap for them. Again, Miami is not kind of viewed as a as a good team. But, you know, with that said, neither were the Bears entering this season. So hopefully they'll show up, you know, continuing to hold that chip on their shoulder uh, and perform well. Um, Pittsburgh against Cincinnati is a game that just has a lot of implications. Uh, you know, kind of big picture uh, in the NFL. These might be the two best teams in their division. Uh, we have the ever-looming question of will Ben Roethlisberger show up uh, in a road game. Looking forward to that for sure. And, of course, I have to talk about uh, Casey at New England on Sunday night. Uh, I'll tie this into a bold prediction at the end of the show, but man, the, how can you not be excited for this game? Uh, we just saw Mahomes hold it together against the Jags defense. New England's defense is not that good, but you know Belichick has that mastermind vibe to him. I'm starting to wonder if maybe that part of the Patriots mystique is a little overrated. Maybe Belichick is overrated. I mean, I, I shouldn't say that Belichick is overrated. I guess That coaching in general is overrated to some extent or maybe i have been overrating it but this is a good test of that right we get to see you know one of the best teams of the past 15 years the best coaches of of that span go up against one of the most exciting young and talented quarterbacks we've ever seen and i i can't wait it's gonna be super good uh but let's talk rest of season quarterback rankings and i want to kick this off by talking a little bit about how I don't think there's a ton of value in rest of season rankings. So while I'm doing this exercise, I think it's more for the meta discussion around it and for discussion of the quarterback position in general. Uh, But one of the key takeaways I want you, the listener, to have uh, through all this is that all this stuff is super fluid. Week to week, so much is going to change, and week to week, Some of these guys are going to score so closely to another. We just saw this in week five that you can't really care too much about a rest of season ranking. Now, if you're, if you're trying to trade for a player, then yes, that matters. And we need to have a baseline of belief in which quarterbacks are better than others. And I tried to get to that with my rankings. And one of the ways that we can always think about rankings is with a tiered system, Uh, this is something that's super important. You have to acknowledge that because scoring is relatively flat at the position, there may not be a lot of separation between certain players. And with that in mind, you can put them into buckets or tiers together. So I guess we might as well jump in to my actual rest of the season rankings. I have essentially six tiers of starters and then another two tiers of backups who we're going to talk about on the episode, and my tier one is not too surprising. I have Patrick Mahomes, number one. I think what he's done to this point in the season is undeniable. The match of him and that offense, despite a relatively easy schedule uh, to this point, you know, know, Jacksonville aside, they're making it work with Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is, you know, making mistakes, but he's also making up for those mistakes with incredible plays. And I think that it would be justifiable to take any of the other QBs in my top tier ahead of him, but that list is three guys deep and they're all legends of the game. It's Drew Brees 2, Tom Brady 3, Aaron Rodgers number 4. Rodgers is coming off a QB 1 performance in Week 5. Why do I have him ranked behind these other guys? Health concerns, that's it. Uh, For him and his wide receivers, I'm curious to see if the volume will continue for the Packers in the passing game. I think it kind of has to uh, to some extent. But at the same time, their defense is, I think, a little underrated. I think if they do come to their senses, they'll start using Aaron Jones more as a rusher uh, and out of the backfield as a receiver, and that does help Rodgers to some extent. But, you know, Rodgers playing on one and a half legs, that knee is not going to be 100% the whole season would be my guess. And with that in mind, I think that there's risk of re-injury, there's risk of a compensation injury, and that's not to say that Drew Brees and Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes can't get hurt. But... To my knowledge, they are not hurt now, and Aaron Rodgers is, and that's the only reason I have Rodgers ranked four. But ultimately, any given week, if these guys are healthy enough to start, they are no-brainer inclusions in your lineup. I don't foresee any situation where I would bench them, and this is something where you could, you know, maybe argue, you know, how how would you treat these guys if they're playing Jacksonville? I mean, we just saw what Mahomes did. He was fine. Now, he wasn't, you know, top five. He wasn't elite, uh, but if you drafted Drew Brees or traded for Tom Brady or, you know, Rodgers or Mahomes, chances are you use the equity in the draft or with your trade to make it so that you kind of have to start these players, right? You don't really have uh, better options week to week in terms of players to start over this elite tier. And I think that is another key takeaway from me with this exercise is that when in doubt, Ignore the matchups and just play the best players. This is not rocket science. It's not super quantitative, but there is something to be said about a player transcending his matchup. And these are the types of guys who can do it. Tier two for me is only two guys. It's a bit of a mixed bag. And I, you could have talked me into putting these guys in tier one. You could talk me into putting them down in, you know, tier three, which in tier three is huge. Tier three is a lot of guys, but uh, I have Cam Newton at number five and Andrew Luck at number six with Newton. I talked about it earlier. Even when he was, you know, one of the busts of the week for me, he still put up 16 fantasy points. The entire offense flows through this player. And maybe with DJ Moore developing a little bit as the season goes on, With Curtis Samuel back in the fold, uh, that offense can become a little bit more prolific. And even if Cam Newton doesn't give you those spike weeks all the time, he is going to give you spike weeks because he will have those, you know, two rushing touchdown games, and they're not always going to be predictable, right? Because touchdowns are unpredictable. That's the nature of the stat. With that in mind, I think that Newton kind of is in that no-brainer start category, just like the top tier, and that's why he's in this kind of mini tier two with luck Um, luck is a bit riskier his o-line is not great i guess newton has has the same problem to some extent um but with with andrew luck it's all about volume like they just keep passing they keep passing they keep passing they can't run the ball and that volume is like patrick mahomes undeniable if luck is going to go out there and throw it 50 times most weeks then he's going to be a top 20 starter kind of without fail because he is a good player he is a smart quarterback and Even when T.Y. Hilton is out, he's going to be able to find open receivers. And those open receivers might not be always talented enough to make the plays, but they have enough talent around him uh, with Hines, with Ebron, even with some of those uh, tertiary receivers, Chester Rogers, Ryan Grant. There's enough there for luck to maintain relevance. And I think based upon the volume, he's a little bit more predictable than some of the guys who I'm going to talk about in Tier 3. And so Tier 3 is huge. It is. Guys who could very easily vault into, you know, the top five in any given week based upon a matchup or based upon, you know, the matchups of the guys ahead of them, like Newton and Luck. Uh, but let's just run through them real quick, uh, and then I'll kind of get some notes on each. Uh, seven, I have Jared Goff. Eight, I have Roethlisberger. Nine, I have Matt Ryan. Ten, Russell Wilson. Eleven, Kirk Cousins. Twelve, Jameis Winston. Thirteen, Carson Wentz. Fourteen, Philip Rivers. Fifteen, Deshaun Watson. Sixteen, Andy Dalton. Matthew Stafford. And honestly, if you ask me to rank these guys again in 20 minutes, the list might come out completely different. That's how close these players are in value to me. I really don't differentiate between them. So if you were to throw out a Twitter question to me that said, should I trade Kirk Cousins and Marvin Jones for Carson Wentz and Golden Tate? The quarterbacks are so close in value. And I, I mean, they're separated here by, let's say, two spots in my rest of season rankings. But... It would really just come down to the other players in the deal, and a oh, QB wide receiver for QB wide receiver deal is inherently stupid. Don't don't send me those sort of questions, please. If you're making if you're trying to make those types of trades, just stop. Like that's not the point of a trade. The point of a trade is to take something where you're you have depth and sell that off to make an improvement where you need help. And you know QB for wide receiver or QB wide receiver for QB wide receiver, or you know even just something as simple as QB for QB is stupid. Someone's going to lose that deal, somebody's going to win it, you can't benefit both teams, and with that in mind, why would you ever make that trade? If you 100% believe that you're getting the better end of the deal, then sure, you can make those types of deals, but then your trading partner should have no reason to do the deal, and even if you're proposing it, chances are they're just going to say, oh no, this is obviously bad for me, I'm not going to do it. So those types of trade offers are silly, and I understand why people try to make them, but just don't pose them to me on Twitter, because it's... there's no point. I, I How do I analyze them? There's no way of knowing. I've become distracted talking or ranting about trade questions on Twitter. Uh, back to the justification here of this tier and why it's so large. I mean, week to week, we're going to see variance. And that variance is going to play out in the form of Todd Gurley scoring three touchdowns so that Jared Goff doesn't have to. It's going to play out with Ben Roethlisberger being on the road and putting up a a bad performance, as he often does. It's going to play out with Jameis Winston self-destructing and throwing three interceptions in the first half. And based upon, you know, the game script problems, like we talked about with Alex Smith against the Saints uh, this past week, uh, you know, then, you know, Jameis Winston is put in a compromise situation where the team know he's, the, the opponent knows he's going to pass, and therefore can take the pass away and continue to wreak havoc on him with the pass rush uh, by jumping routes, things like that. So these types of scenarios, I mean, that's not just going to come up for James Winston and Jared Goff and Ben Roethlisberger. This stuff is going to happen to all these players. Like, home road splits are not unique to Ben Roethlisberger. They happen to a lot of different quarterbacks. And with that in mind, trying to order these players is silly. It's, it's ultimately futile, because you're going to have to look at The given week, you know who they're playing against, who on the opposing defense is injured, which of the weapons of the quarterback are hurt, and that stuff needs to inform your decisions week to week. To the point where a rest of season ranking is only going to help you if you're trying to project a trade or something like that. And even then, like I said, it's kind of meaningless if you're comparing Matt Ryan to Carson Wentz or Philip Rivers to Andy Dalton. I can again try to delineate between these guys and. Like, I'll run through those justifications in a minute, but big picture, these guys are really close in value. Don't sweat it too much. Don't try to put too much mental energy into figuring out which one's going to be best over the rest of the season. Focus that energy on who's going to be the best this week and maybe next week and go from there. So why do I rank these guys as I do? Jared Goff at seven. He's just in one of the best offenses in the league. Gurley's going to eat, but that production from Gurley also helps Goff. You know, he's in a good, he's on a good team. That's a lot of the reason why Drew Brees and Tom Brady are, you know, became the players that they are is because they were playing with good coaches, with other good players in good systems. And Goff, I don't know is, I don't know if he is a transcendent talent like those other quarterbacks, but right now in the moment, his team is really good and that matters. And that's why he's number seven for me. With that said, I might be tempted to, bust him down below a couple of these guys if we see extended absences from brandon cooks and cooper cup Uh, those guys are super important to him like i'm talking about how great the team is and that's why goff is ranked so high if those receivers are going to miss multiple games uh, with concussions that could you know bump goff down and at the very least this week you have to consider how that's going to affect his evaluation Uh, roethlisberger number eight I just really like ceiling when it comes to QBs, because as we've talked about a lot, like even when guys have bad weeks, they're still going to put up, you know, 14 to 16 points. And you can maybe make up for that at other positions. And so with Roethlisberger and, you know, the dreaded home road splits, just the general up and down nature of his play, I'm not too concerned about that. On the other hand, uh, the toughest part of his schedule is about to start. uh, Week 6 through 12, he has a lot of tough matchups, and I'm wondering if Maybe I have him ranked a little too high relative to some of these other guys. I might. Uh, That's a distinct possibility. But, you know, in any given week, given a good matchup, I really like Roethlisberger. And, you know, the fact that he gets to throw to Juju Smith Schuster and Antonio Brown and Vance McDonald and James Conner and maybe Le'Veon Bell down the road, like, there's really a lot to like with Roethlisberger. Um, He has a defense that is not great. So he does have to keep throwing. Uh, on the other hand, he has an opportunistic defense, again, one that really gets after the quarterback for the most part, and that fact helps. The fact that his team can generate turnovers uh, with sacks, with pressure on quarterbacks leading to interceptions, that's going to create some situations where is going to get to work with a lot of short fields, and that stuff is tough to predict, that's kind of anecdotal, but... Being on that type of team again, kind of like Goff being on a team with a good defense with a good offense around him, that makes me like Roethlisberger more than some of the other guys on this list. That's why I I have him number eight. Matt Ryan number nine. Similar stuff, um, kind of the opposite on the defensive spectrum. He's got that you know former Drew Brees problem of just the defense is so bad that Matt Ryan can't help but throw. He's he's in the Andrew Luck uh, scenario right now, and that just makes Matt Ryan a game script hero. He's got good weapons. I think the offensive line problems are a bit concerning, but even with those, he can't help but chuck it a bunch, and I think that that matters. That volume is why I had luck ranked so high, and I'm going to keep Matt Ryan um, ranked high as well. Number 10, kind of the opposite end of the spectrum with Russell Wilson. There are definitely volume concerns here. I'm kind of just banking on the notion that at some point, the Seahawks season is going to start to slip away, and they're going to have to unleash Russell Wilson to some extent. We have no evidence of that coming, though. This is more of a speculative ranking. I, I'm kind of ranking the talent of the player, kind of like I was talking about earlier. Throw away the matchups. Look at who the best players are. And I think Wilson is one of those guys. Um, still, you could talk me into ranking him below a lot of the guys who who I'm going to get to uh, next. Um, Kirk Cousins at number 11. This feels wrong to have him this low. He should probably be above Wilson. If Again, like I said, 20 minutes from now, if I had to re-rank, I'd probably put... Uh, cousins ahead of wilson just based on what we've seen this season and the trends of those two franchises at this moment but cousins has some o-line concerns of his own uh when we did our bad quarterbacks draft uh, back at the beginning of the season i actually took trevor semian because i was worried that you know maybe the o-line in minnesota would fail cousins and that cousins might you know take a bad hit and get hurt now you know the rules are kind of built to make sure that doesn't happen but it still could happen like we saw aaron Rodgers get hurt earlier this year um With Cousins, though, there's still a lot to love. You get Thielen, you get Diggs. The running game there being a problem does have an impact on Kirk Cousins. Like, if they still had Dalvin Cook at 100%, I think that I would feel much more confident about ranking Cousins ahead of Wilson, maybe even ahead of Ryan and Roethlisberger, like right in that Jared Goff, Andrew Luck range. Uh, But, you know, all in all, there are enough question marks with the Vikings that I think Cousins kind of belongs in the middle of this tier because he could go up, he could go down. Um, Number 12, Jameis Winston. The weapons made Ryan Fitzpatrick look elite in Tampa Bay. I don't see how that can't be the case for Winston as well. You know, we don't have a full game from Jameis yet. Uh, The one game he played, he only scored six and a half points in relief of Fitzpatrick. That was a QB 28 finish. But if we look at what Fitzpatrick did, uh, you know, through the good part of his schedule, you know, even when you factor in his QB 30 finish in week four uh, with only three fantasy points, Fitzpatrick has an average weekly finish of 11.3. To put that in context, Deshaun Watson has an average weekly finish of QB 11, 11 11.0 through five weeks. And so, and we can kind of put Winston on that same trajectory, I think, in the same vein as Deshaun Watson, where, yes, there are going to be mistakes. But at the same time, there are going to be big explosive plays because he has great receivers, uh, because he has a big arm. Because their defense is bad, and he's going to have to throw a lot. Um, So I I think the same way you could talk about Matt Ryan as QB9, maybe it'll be Jameis Winston. But again, these guys are super close. Uh, This tier is so compact that it's hard to pick nits. Um, My big concern with Winston is the fact that Fitzpatrick is still there. And I'll hold that discussion until we get to Fitzpatrick, because he is going to come up in these rankings later. QB13, Carson Wentz. He's getting healthier. He has that goth esque infrastructure around him. Frankly, I might be too low on him as well. This feels kind of like the Cousins thing. I just don't know if Wentz is going to have the same type of volume. Uh, but, But when I ranked him, that was a little earlier in the week, and that was before the JHIE goes to IR news. And so with that said, maybe they won't get to run as much as they want. Maybe they'll have to throw more, and Wentz is going to have to scale up these rankings to some extent. I don't know. I mean, that's, I I hate to say it, but that's me just throwing up my hands over and over again when I have to rank these guys relative to each other over, you know, the rest of the season is that it it doesn't matter. They're they're so close. Um, I hate to keep harping on it, but that's just the way it is. Wentz's argument is that Jared Goff argument, though, that he has a better team around him than uh, guys like Winston and Cousins and Matt Ryan, and that that's going to ultimately help him rise to the top of this tier. And we could see that happen, uh, but I'm not going to bank on it just yet. I kind of want to see more from the Eagles. QB 14, and this is like probably the biggest slap in the face of the list, is Phillip Rivers. Uh, He's at an average weekly finish of 9.6, which I think is like second or third best. Among all quarterbacks, yeah, it's behind only Mahomes and Breeze. so um, major disrespect on my part here uh, for Rivers. The reason I have him ranked a little bit lower is I'm worried his 7.5 touchdown rate is going to regress here as the season goes on. You know, we said the same things, or I said the same things about Carson Wentz last season. Um, His touchdown rate was unsustainable, and he continued to sustain the unsustainability, uh, if that makes any sense. So Rivers could very easily do that, but I'm kind of just playing the percentages here and playing into what we've seen from Rivers in the past. Uh, We have to hope that their defense improves a little bit as the season goes on and that he doesn't have to throw quite as much. Um, Maybe we saw the start of that with uh, Week 5 against the Raiders, although even in that week, rivers was the qb6 with uh you know over 21 fantasy points so i'm definitely ready to eat crow on rivers and i'm rooting for him to keep this up because you know he's been around for a long time it's it's cool to see these you know, kind of mainstays of two qb leagues continue to produce um, kind of along the lines of breeze just you know on a in a slightly lower tier essentially um but yeah rivers is my qb 14 15 to Sean watson um the weapons there man that that's great that's the that's the dr jekyll And the turnovers are, that that's the Mr. Hyde for Deshaun Watson. The offensive line is a major problem for them, and they're just, I mean, I don't trust Bill O'Brien. There are just a lot of red flags around him, and that's why he's as low as he is in these rankings, despite the fact that he is very, very talented. Andy Dalton, QB 16. This is another one of those kind of lifetime achievement rankings, kind of like Phillip Rivers. Like, we've seen Dalton be very good, and the next four weeks, admittedly, should be, you know, fuego for him. He has a really nice schedule coming up in the short term. But ultimately, I think Andy Dalton is who we thought he was uh, at the beginning of the season, and that's uh, perfectly viable. You know, top 20 QB most weeks, and a guy who you're going to start a lot of the time. But, you know, after this this short stretch, uh, maybe that's not going to be the case um, for every week. So Dalton, QB 16, but again, it's a really fluid tier. Uh, 17, uh, another maybe slap in the face, Matthew Stafford. Um, I have him ranked at the bottom of this tier, f- mostly based on schedule. He has a really tough slate of opponents coming up. He still has to face Minnesota twice, Chicago twice, the Rams, and he's going on the road at Buffalo in December. You know, Stafford is a dome quarterback, you know, going out into the winter conditions, even though he calls Detroit home, which is a cold weather city. It's it's not quite the same to go outside and play in Buffalo, I think that matters for him. I, I, I say the throwaway matchups, but in a case like this where there are so many matchups against so many of the league's elite defenses, I think we have to ding Stafford for that to some extent. With that said, he was high for me in my original rankings to start the season. He was in the same range as Ben Roethlisberger and Matt Ryan. And those guys are my QB eight and QB nine for rest of season. So Again, this illustrates how close these guys are in value. I don't think there's a big difference between Jared Goff at the top and Matthew Stafford at the bottom. This is just the way that looking at the remaining schedule, looking at kind of the state of each of these guys' teams, you know, Stafford ultimately shakes out at the bottom of the tier. And I'll probably be wrong about it, but that's where I sit as of this moment as I'm recording on Tuesday night. We're going to pick up the pace a little bit for the lower tiers here cuz I don't think it's quite as important to differentiate between these players just because there are so many viable options uh in the top 15 or 16. At QB18, I have like a borderline tier and this is where I put Alex Smith. Again, I ranked this before Monday night and kind of I put Smith in this spot because I wanted to see how he performed against New Orleans and Is the 2017 Smith going to show up at some point this season or are we going to get the old school Alex Smith where he's kind of just a game manager? He provides a decent floor, uh, but ultimately is not going to be elite often enough to merit inclusion in that big tier three with um, all the more kind of prolific passers in the league. And I think that we can kind of officially say that Smith is just the top of the next tier. He's the top of tier four. Um, And so just running through that real quick, I have Blake Bortles at 19, Joe Flacco at 20. Marcus Mariota 21, Baker Mayfield 22, Derek Carr 23, Mitchell Trubisky 24, Dak Prescott 25, and then my tier 5 is another kind of mini borderline tier, Eli Manning at 26, Case Keenum at 27. I think both of those guys can be in this tier 4 discussion, again, because quarterback scoring is flat, because variance exists, and because up and down quarterback production is going to happen, even with the guys who are the worst starters in the league, like Eli and Keenum. They're just enfranchised to the point where we kind of have to talk about them in the same breath as Derek Carr, as Joe Flacco. But for the most part, I think my official tier four is it stops before Eli Manning. Prescott at 25 is it. And Blake Bortles, he's the bad expectation version of Ben Roethlisberger. We see those up and down weeks from Roethlisberger. We see the same stuff from Bortles. He just doesn't have quite the same ceiling of QB1 finishes, QB2 type finishes. And with that in mind, you're going to get a lower floor from Bortles as well, I think, than you would with Roethlisberger. And so he's at the top of this tier because, again, I do like to chase upside with my QBs. Even though, you know, Joe Flacco might be a more stable producer, um, even Dak Prescott at the bottom of the tier might be a more steady guy because of his rushing production. Aside from Alex Smith, who I, who I think does still have some upside to outproduce Bortles week to week, um, I think Bortles has to be at the top of this tier because... He has that upside to finish as like a QB5 or a QB8 or a QB11, you know, often enough. uh, Just based upon the way he's used, the type of player that he is, and the fact that his defense can create a lot of short fields for him. uh, That sort of stuff is conducive to, you know, kind of blow up weeks out of nowhere for Bortles, and that's why he's at 19. Uh, Flacco has a little bit of that now, like, although the Ravens defense has been... Uh, kind of an enigma to some extent, Um, but you know Joe Flacco at 20 getting real receivers has helped him step up, and he has a pretty easy schedule for the rest of the year. I think that that matters for him specifically, and so he's another guy. I think him, Bortles, and Smith are all effectively like the same value in my mind. I have Marcus Mariota ranked 21, and I've already talked about just how confused I am by him and the season he's putting together. I really don't know what to say about him uh, you could convince me to rank him below Eli Manning in Case Keenum at this point. Like maybe that is more appropriate, but I, I want to believe, uh, you know, spooky Molder here. Um, <laughs> I, I think that Mariota has the talent. Like the weapons are still there for him to produce. I want to chalk up weeks one through five to this just being a a preseason honeymoon phase. Or what's what's the opposite? What's the bad version of a honeymoon? I, I don't know. Like that's what Mariota has been going through. And maybe as the season plays out, he can figure out how to. Make things work. 22, Baker Mayfield. This is kind of the optimistic view of that same type of player, a guy who might be a little up and down, but has solid weapons, has a pretty good team around him, or pretty good talent around him. The issue with Mayfield is just the coaching, man. Hugh Jackson is not going to help this dude win games. He's not going to put Mayfield in a scenario to, to succeed. And I shouldn't just blame Hugh Jackson, like Todd Haley is to blame here, too. But the talent is definitely there. And I really can't wait to see how he plays as the starter going forward. I already talked about him as the streamer of the week. I think that he might be good enough to transcend the coaching problems to some extent. And not every week, but some of the time. With that in mind, I don't think he's too far behind Joe Flacco, Blake Bortles, Alex Smith. I think that Mayfield, by the end of the season, might be above them in our evaluations. Like By week 15, we might be routinely ranking him above those other guys. 23, Derek Carr. There have been flashes of things that we've liked, but the offense in Oakland has just been so unpredictable, and Carr himself has just been such a disaster. Eight interceptions through five games. He's not good. It's official. Uh, I wish I would have stuck to my guns a little bit more in the preseason uh, when I was evaluating him, but I started to talk myself into maybe I'm overrating the John Gruden effect. Uh, In this case, I don't think John Gruden even matters. I think that Derek Carr is just not a very good QB. And I think that's kind of what we can say about everybody else on this list. Um, Mitchell Trubisky, number 24, is still very young. He can get better. He can definitely become a better player than Derek Carr. But at this point, I don't think he's very good. Now, he had that one really big week. But there were circumstances, as I discussed earlier, that could have led to that. And... Unfortunately, having an early bye week kind of deprives us of more data with Trubisky, like one more game to kind of go off of when we're evaluating him, which is why I'm so fascinated to watch him this week and uh I think we just have to kind of reserve judgment for now. And with that in mind, we can't I can't give him the benefit of the doubt and put him ahead of uh even Baker Mayfield a rookie because, you know, I I I feel like they're both effectively rookies um and they're both you know learning how to play QB in the NFL, and I trust Mayfield's talent a little more than I trust Trubisky's, and so I have to rank Trubisky lower. That's as, as simple as that. 25 Dak Prescott. I mean, speaking of coaching problems, um, Jason Garrett, man, what are you doing? On top of that, the lack of weapons is pr- has predictably been a huge problem. Uh, that's an Ezekiel Elliott team, Prescott will be fine some of the time, and he's startable. Uh, in two quarterback formats, but he is by no means exciting. There's no way I can rank him ahead of these other players. Even though I think there will be plenty of weeks where he outscores them, I just don't see the upside. Uh, again, I, I want upside from my quarterback position because the position inherently has a floor. With Prescott, that upside is so limited, and we just can't trust it. And he's he's got to be this low. Uh, Eli Manning actually probably has a higher ceiling than Prescott, and maybe I should have ranked him higher, but. I think he is, whereas Prescott is like Trubisky, a young player and could still improve and maybe transcend his situation if a few things change in Dallas, Manning is to the point where he might just be so washed that he's only going to keep that team or that offense generally functional. Uh, I think the upside with Manning is that there are still some really soft defenses on deck and so you can steer into those matchups, but the rest of the time I... Don't want to be using him if I don't have to. And I think I'm going to be shooting for upside other places for the most part. Case Keenum 27, I think he's been exposed a little bit this season. And part of the reason I have him ranked this low, and I guess this is also an argument for Eli, is that I do think that at some point this season, Keenum could be benched for Chad Kelly. I talked about that in the preseason. This is one of the the calls that I was actually (laughs) relatively on point with. I don't want to take a victory lap on it just yet uh, because Keenum has been serviceable, but he has not been great. I think that maybe based upon the weapons, you could make the argument for him over Prescott as well. Uh, I mean, the, the, the finishes so far reflect that. Uh, Case Keenum, average weekly finish of QB 20. Uh, Dak Prescott, average weekly finish of QB 23. So we're not really seeing it from Prescott. Um, Keenum's actually been a little bit better to date. Uh, but because they might make a move i think that has to you know push us off of keenum a little bit whereas you know prescott is probably pretty safe in his role now we're getting to the dregs uh my tier i guess this is officially tier six uh if we call the alex smith blake bortles tier four and eli manning case keenum uh, a mini tier of tier five but 28 i have cj bethard 29 i have ryan Tannehill. 30 I have Sam Darnold, 31 I have Josh Allen, 32 I have Josh Rosen. I think I've already talked myself out of this C.J. Beathard rank. If I, if I redid this right now on the fly, I would probably rank Beathard behind Tannehill and Darnold. But again, this is a, a stacked tier. These guys are all really close because they're not good. Um, in the case of the rookies, uh, Darnold, Allen, and Rosen, they're just going to be growing pains. And you're going to have to deal with that, those rookie ups and downs. The thing I like about Beathard, as discussed earlier, is the rushing floor and the year two and Shanahan offense thing. I think that narrative does apply here, as strange as it sounds. And because he's in that offense, because the volume is going to be there because the Niners defense isn't very good, that was my justification for ranking Beathard ahead of some of these other players at the time. And maybe I should stick to that. But kind of looking at it now and thinking about the type of player C.J. Beathard is, the type of mistakes that he is prone to make, I am probably just being subject to his QB 10 finish here. This is just probably recency bias on my part, and I should have him ranked lower. Ryan Tannehill is, is pretty secure in his job, but unlike Beathard, he kind of lacks the volume. I, I just don't, I mean, they have the, the fewest pass attempts uh, per game in Miami to date. And if Tannehill's not throwing, that means he's going to have a lot of really low scoring weeks. And we've seen that to this point. He's only finished over 15 fantasy points twice. Uh, The rest of the time, he's been underneath. We've only seen him finish above QB 15 once. So you're just not getting that upside because he's not handling the ball enough. They're not running enough plays. The same argument applies to Josh Rosen, and they really put the kid gloves on him against San Francisco and it admittedly that's that's a smart move by the Cardinals because they were crushing the 49ers in that game because Beathard kept turning the ball over and the Niners offense kept turning the ball over but that's why Rosen is at the bottom he's like of the current starters he's my QB 32 rest of the season just because I don't know how much they're going to ask him to do Uh it's the same problem that Tannehill has I think Sam Darnold at QB 30 is probably the most interesting and probably has the most room for upside here because he has the best team around him in New York, as strange as that sounds. It's strange to say that about the Jets. But on both sides of the ball, defense and offense, I think he has weapons that are on par with Beathard and Tannehill or better than those guys. The defense is going to make for more manageable game scripts for Darnold, which generally is a good thing. Uh, so again, if I if I was to reshuffle this right now, I'd probably have Darnold 28 and then Beathard, Tannehill 28, 29, and then uh, the the other rookies bringing up the rear. Josh Allen, thirty one. Uh, his rushing ability is legit, uh, but that's about all that Josh Allen offers. And the more and more that teams realize that all you have to do is is keep him from running the ball and force him to throw, I think it's going to be harder and harder for him to find success. He'll have some some big plays and some occasional big weeks if he can get uh, you know those those goal line scores and maybe you know, some big Hail Mary type throws, but I think Josh Allen has to be pretty far down here. Uh, And I already talked about why I have Rosen at 32. And so that brings us to the backups in these rest of season quarterback rankings. And the first tier of backups features Lamar Jackson at 33, Taysom Hill at 34, and Ryan Fitzpatrick at 35. With Lamar Jackson and Taysom Hill, I'm ranking them here simply because they are being used in spite of the fact that there are starters ahead of them. Jackson and Hill are both being used as rushers and occasional trick play type passers, or maybe even receivers in the case of Lamar Jackson. I don't necessarily like the way these guys are being used relative to the starters, but the fact is that their teams are using them in this way, and you can't ignore or scoff at quarterback points in a two-quarterback format. If you were in a 14-team Superflex League, a 16-team Superflex League, there might be weeks where... Taysom Hill as, you know, a part-time rushing threat in the Saints offense is going to be worth more to you than the wide receiver or running back you are considering over him at Superflex. That's just how it goes. When bye weeks hit, these guys might have enough value to start, and so we have to rank them accordingly. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, 35. I think there's a chance, and I've already alluded to this, that he could step back in at some point over Jameis Winston. We can't rule that out. Fitzpatrick seemed to really have win the Buccaneers team over uh, and if he has that sort of locker room hero vibe to him and Winston struggles at all we could see them make the move back really when it comes down to ranking backups if we're not just chasing occasional points with players like Lamar Jackson and Taysom Hill we have to look at the quarterbacks who we believe are the most likely to take over for their starters and so Fitzpatrick kind of leads the charge there because we've already seen him have success in that offense, and there are narrative reasons that we can conclude he might retake that starting role at some point this season. So the next tier of backups is a group of guys who are hopeful in their own right that the ineptitude of the starter in front of them will lead to starts. And so at 36, I have Chad Kelly. At 37 and 38, I have some combination of Cody Kessler, Kyle Lauletta, or maybe Alex Taney. These are the backups for Denver, for the New York Giants, and for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Bortles has probably done enough to where Cody Kessler should be ranked lower. Uh, but Chad Kelly, I think at this point, definitely has to be 36, right behind Fitzpatrick, because Case Keenum has not been great. Because Case Keenum has a track record of not being a great starter, you know, aside from 2017. So maybe late in the season, the Broncos make the move. Kelly has... You know, a bit of a pedigree from college. He was a pretty prolific producer at times. He has the skills, at the very least, to be an NFL quarterback. Whether he puts it together at the NFL level this season, who the hell knows? Probably not. But, you know, if he becomes a starter over Keenum, maybe that works. And we have to rank him accordingly. Uh, Kessler, just because he's behind Bortles. I had him 37. Like I said, I'd probably rank him lower if I redid this list right now. Lauletta slash Tanny. I mean, Eli Manning is bad. He's not the same player he used to be. This has <laughs> been something, if you've been a long-time listener, I was talking about this last season. I thought that Geno Smith should have taken over as the starter uh, and held that job for the entire season. So, I mean, my personal biases are baked in here. You can take that for what it's worth. But, uh, you know, is Kyle Letta, Is Kyle Lauletta the backup? Is Alex Tanney the backup? I'm not sure. I would guess that if they were to make a move after the heat the Giants took last year for benching Eli for a veteran in Geno Smith, people were saying, oh, well, if you're going to bench him, at least bench him for the rookie, get Davis Webb in there. I, I think that that would probably weigh into their decision this year, even if it shouldn't. And they would probably go with Lauletta if and when Manning is ready to be benched um it might be up to manning to be honest it might just be to the point where once their season is over once they're out of playoff contention maybe they've had some backroom discussions of you know lauletta or tanny taking over and i I don't know the fact that that's a possibility means that uh, lauletta is my qb 38 at the moment the last tier of backups i'm going to get to uh, 39 through 42 are the injury hopefuls and i I shouldn't say that we're ever hopeful of injury but these guys are playing behind players who you know, have some sort of injury concern right now at this very moment. The first is Jacoby Brissett. Uh, we've already seen him come in to make a Hail Mary throw for Andrew Luck. Uh, I think that was a little overblown to some extent, and I, I don't know if that would still happen three weeks from now. Um, so maybe we don't need to worry about this. With that said, Brissett was a serviceable player last year, and we have to consider him... Uh, as a a viable backup if you were to get time uh, in there in replacement of Andrew Luck and so he's kind of the top of this injury related tier Uh, the next is Sean Kaiser just because you know as I've already discussed Rogers is not 100% if there is a re-injury if there's a compensation injury to some other part of his body then Kaiser's going to get in there and, and get some run 41 uh, Joshua Dobbs playing behind Ben Roethlisberger we've seen Roethlisberger miss a handful of games here and there and he's getting a little long in the tooth Uh, I think there's a case to be made for Dobbs maybe getting in there 42 Brandon Whedon this is probably the the craziest ranking I came up with but Deshaun Watson's taking a pounding man and if he gets hurt Whedon's the guy Uh, so that that's it We'll end on that note. That's a that's a very fitting point to close down this show or at least to start wrapping things up. I hope you liked this run through my rest of season rankings. I hope that kind of the thought process behind how I differentiated made some sense. If you have questions, you can always get at me on Twitter. Um, I'm on there at Greg Sauce or you can hit me up uh, at the 2QB's Twitter handle, which is just at 2QB's and you spell it out T-W-O-Q-B-S. If you have more lengthy questions questions or comments for the show uh, you can send us an email to qbs at gmail.com it's the same way as the twitter handle i will still get to that bold prediction i promised at the very end here but i do want to make a uh, a quick shout out to salvatore Stefanelli, my partner 2 qb's.com uh, he's going through uh, some rough family stuff he's tweeted about it a little bit but um my heart goes out to you dude um i, I don't know really what to say but um hang in there I'm here for you. Just if you're listening to this and you appreciate what we do at the site, uh, what goes into this podcast, what goes into 2 com, Sal is such a big part of that. He is such a big part of what I do and how far I've come as... I don't necessarily want to call myself an analyst, but as a, a fantasy football community member. And we're all pulling for you, man. We're all, we're all hoping that... Um, you make it through this tough time, and so just putting some good vibes out there for you, buddy. And uh, if if you're listening to this, I'm, I'm hoping that you'll put out some good vibes of your own for Sal and his family as he uh, you know kind of works through um, what he's going through. It's it's not easy, and uh, that's it. That's that's all I wanted to say. Um, there's no simple way to transition to a bold prediction for Week Six, so you know what, I'm I'm just not going to do it. Actually, this is. Um, Never mind. I'm going to leave that out just because, I don't know, it just doesn't really feel appropriate to me in this moment. So uh, to everyone out there, thank you for listening. Really appreciate your support. Uh, Please take all that support you would give the show and give it to Sal right now. Um, He needs it. Good luck in week six. We'll catch you next time. Adios.